Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we are preaching. And me, me, me. I'll go first. Here's what's astonishing me. <laughs> Two pastors actually... We actually took a walk. We took a walk. We wore masks. We socially distanced. And now we are in the same place at the same time, again, wearing the masks on my screened-in porch, with my kids in the next room, so who knows what might happen. But um, we, I mean, I haven't seen you since March. March, yeah. So that is just, um, wow. Astonishing. It is just so, <laughs> it's just so great to have this piece of um, life restored. And like, I try not to ever get sentimental outside of the pulpit. <laughs> But I mean, we've talked a lot. Um, we've talked a lot over the years about how friendship is a really important part of the body of Christ yep. and also about being healthy in ministry. And we've talked a lot um, about our friendship being a gift that's been really generative and yep. like just healthy and holy and a, a place of joy. And um, so, I mean, it's been great that we have had the ability to zoom and connect in that way. But, um, man, like it's just really, really, really nice. So Not quite the same. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just really, really great to, um, be able to have a way to be in the same place and the same time. And it is astonishingly good. And it's just a really lovely foretaste of the reality that, um, I think we said before that at the beginning, we had this, it felt like this was only going to last for a few weeks. Yeah. And that feeling was really just not reality. And now that we are nine months in, it feels like we will never get to be in person worshiping again. And that feeling also is not reality. And so it's just really um, lovely to have this kind of foretaste to right now, so many things are hard and strange and um, just less than ideal, but it won't last forever. And I needed that reminder. Cause honestly, like, it's good to see you. It's good to see you, <laughs> but also like all week, it has just been so nice to have this to look forward to that. Yeah. So, um, anyway, that is what is astonishing me and it's making me happy, man. So <laughs> no eye contact. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What? what is astonishing you? Or I don't know if you want to, if you want to say nice things about how important I am to you, well, you can just go right ahead. <laughs> well, Awkward. this is, this is, this is really huge for me because I've had a hard time getting out of the house. I have been really, um, just, um, well, um, there, there's, I don't want to say fearful, but concerned about my health. You know, I have asthma and, um, just with everything going on in the world, home is safe. Mm -hmm. Family is safe. And so um, I've chosen not to get out very much. Uh, today was my first Starbucks coffee <laughs> since March. And it was a spiritual experience. <laughs> uh, it was fantastic. See, I'm happy about seeing you. You are <laughs> no, happy about Starbucks. No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. Because if the situations were reversed, <laughs> it would totally be true for me as well. Well... And like you, I've had this to look forward to. And um, today, when we uh, we were texting this morning, and you said, "Are you are you really coming?" Or maybe you called. I was like, are we still doing this? Yes. <laughs> and I don't know if you noticed, but I was like, I don't want to talk about it. I just need to do it, or else I'm going to talk myself out of oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I just need to to do it. And so well, yeah. And, like people wouldn't know this, but like whatever pre-pandemic we used to get together at least once a week sometimes twice yeah. like we would get together on a tuesday and on a friday and like sort of be planning and then in final writing stage on friday and and normally like you live super far from me 30 like minutes we, we both used to live in huntersville and then you moved and i mean i know that one of the big things is like you meet we meet here because a it's where we always used to meet and go run and also because you're barber is here. Right. So I'm super grateful for that. <laughs> and, um, but, but usually it's like a thing, like the time, whatever, like we're just not in any hurry. Like we have days of the week right. that are very stressful and time 
sensitive and usually the mornings when we get together are not. And so normally, and you've got Matthew to drop off, whatever, but normally mm-hmm. it's like 10, 1030. So I think I texted you at 830 this morning to be like, hey, when are we getting together? And you're like 845. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? This is not a thing. Um, which, by the way, you did not get here at 845, just to be clear. But I was like, um, wow, like we are doing this. We are this. doing this today. <laughs> it's great. We actually took a walk. So it was really, really good. So I'm glad that you're here. And what's astonishing you? Well, in these crazy times, these difficult and challenging times, I'm astonished by the gift of weakness. Um, when it comes to both my family and the church, I mean, in this season, I can't count how many times I've been asked a question and I had to respond, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, we were just saying back in March, who knew that we would still be out of in-person worship in October? Um, and so early on during this pandemic, I thought, okay, this is short-lived. Um, I gave some quick, easy answers. But as this thing progressed, it just struck me that I can't, I can't see very far into the future. I don't know how long this is going to last. And that initially brought on a great deal of anxiety. How am I supposed to lead the church? How am I supposed to be a comfort to my family when in many ways, I don't know. I, I don't even know what I'm doing. And um, in that holy crisis, it forced me to ask the question, well, are you really trusting the Lord or not? Where, where's your trust? Is your trust in your ability to see far down the road? Is it in your ability to, your own ability to discern what to do in any given moment on any given day? Or is your trust really in the Lord? Are you um, saying to yourself, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth? And I have found this season as hard as it is for me um, to have less certainty, to find this place of weakness to be a gift because it has drawn out of me a place of faith that I really wasn't walking in before. Yeah, I mean, I. it's interesting because there have been so many times over the last nine months where I have really just been done and despairing and... Um, <clears throat> I think, you know, every time I really want to kind of shake my fist at God and like have a, a temper tantrum hmm. and I'm not disparaging that like that. But every time I, I want to do that, I mean, I think, A, there's an element of I just don't have the energy. But B, I'm I'm looking at what's happening and thinking, what about this is out of line with the life of faith as as scripture and the witness of those have gone before have always mm. represented it to be like the reality is foundationally our treasure is not in this earth and and this idea that you know god's strength is made perfect in our weakness like Absolutely. that's not that's not new news right and so yeah. this idea that like i don't do anything for god and god works in and through us, but, but not to necessarily make us like the pastor version of American Idol superstars. Right. And I just think like so much of our Christianity, so much of our understanding of following Jesus, even as we rail against the ways that the culture distorts it, those distortions have crept into our, our practice. And just, um, and so I think it's just been such a, I mean, we've talked before about how this is an apocalyptic season for seeing things externally, um, but it's also just been really helpful. I mean, not pleasant, not at all pleasant, but I think spiritually helpful for me to see, oh, a lot of the distortions are not out there 
they're in here. Like I have Absolutely. a lot of expectations of what the Lord owes me that are completely <laughs> out of line yeah. with the message of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, and so just sort of looking at that, I mean, it's a different kind of weakness, right? Especially, yeah. you know, for pastors who like a significant part of our job is to stand up in front of people weekly and say, thus, thus saith says the Lord. Lord. <laughs> right? yeah. And so, so then to be like, well, in this moment of trial, yeah, I do not find myself um, as full of the fruits of the spirit as one might have hoped. Like, I do not feel like I am acing this test in the way that I, you know, I am not this like font of many blessings to my family, (laughs) to my friends, or frankly, to my church. And I think that has been just really difficult because one of the things that I have been wrestling with is, um, I mean, and I, I hinted to it last week, but you know, we didn't record a po- podcast one week because I just was like, I can't. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I just am not okay. Yeah. And one of the things that's really difficult is I, I think, I understand that as a human, I am, quote, allowed to not be okay. But I think when you are pastoring, because you want to be faithful to serve your church and not require your community to serve you, it's really hard, again, not out of pride, but just out of like failure to say like, I'm not, I am not okay right now. And I don't know how to offer hope, strength, consolation, encouragement to anyone else, because I don't like, I ain't got it to give to you. And I think in this season, you know, at the beginning, there's a certain amount of energy and excitement just in the challenge of a new thing. Correct. And just solving a problem Mm -hmm. and pivoting. And in the beginning, you know, I'm feeling very confident as it turns out in hindsight, not in the Lord, but in this, in my whatever in me, like in my work and in this community and in whatever. And now it's moving on and on. And you're realizing like, Hey, I no longer feel like, Oh, we'll be fine when this is over. I don't, I don't feel that way, which then helps you get back to that bedrock moment of saying, okay, but what is this ultimately deeply about for me as a human being? It's about me beholding the beauty of God incarnate in Jesus of Nazareth and saying, I want to give my whole self and my whole life to that. Mm -hmm. And no, not to an outcome from that, but to who Jesus is. And um, knowing that on the other side of this, for any of us, there's no guarantee that we will go back and pick up our life as it was before. And that is hard and it is painful, but it's not out of line with the leave all things behind and come and follow me witness of scripture. And, and so, um, I mean, I don't, I don't even, well, at the the beginning of the pandemic, I was saying to the church, um, we're going into a new normal, new normal, new normal. I was saying those words But what I've come to realize is that while I was saying those words, deep down, my assumption was that the new normal was going to be so congruent with the old normal that it really wasn't going to require much of a shift from me. And boy, was I wrong. (laughs) Right. And I think it's frustrating for me, too, that I am not on my own self-evaluation, which is not faithful, by the way. Like, we're not (laughs) supposed to find our comfort and our hope in our performance. Our comfort and our hope and our strength is in Jesus, who is no longer performing because it is finished. But, I mean, I think all along I sort of do this self-evaluation, and I think, gosh, why am I not better at this? Because, you know, for my community, we have had an experience before of going into a season of great change, uncertainty, and loss where where we didn't know what, what was in front of us. Mm-hmm. The new normal seemed, A, impossibly 
like non-existent, like a mirage. And B, the only thing we knew in our flesh was all that we were losing, right? And so there's just a long season of like no joy in Mudville. Like, you know, and then at the end of it was just this, this really beautiful new life that has like blessed and grown and given joy to me abundance in ways that I never could have hoped or imagined, but that, you know, you don't know, you only know what you're losing. You Mm. can't know what you may be gaining. And I think that's very analogous to the season of going like, there's no guarantees that the only thing we'll lose are the bad things. Like some things that we will lose will be good and not just like pleasurable, but like definitively good. Mm -hmm. And, and not knowing what's lying ahead is really hard. And as people of faith, we we are supposed to have a hope and a trust that all things work together for good, even when that good won't mirror what's in the past. And even when that good won't be realized in our earthly lifetime. And I just think that's really important, especially for white Christians who like the history of our ethnic people has been oftentimes not individually, but collectively things have gotten from the worldly view better and better for white people. But I think a lot about sort of native American Christians or enslaved Christians in this country who had to put in their hope in the Lord and trust in God always not that expecting necessarily that they would see it in their lifetime, but for the sake of their children and their children's children. And, you know, I really just honor um, the reverence for Mm. which many of my African-American brothers and sisters talk about the faith of their ancestors and, Mm. and just recognizing that in the early church, people had a much more cosmic understanding of the end of the story and weren't expecting like fast food redemption from Jesus. And because we are content with so much less than the kingdom of God, I mean, we do want fast food faith. So like I'll take less, but quicker. And so in this season where all of that is being revealed as a never good in the first place and B, you know, you just start to understand why one of the fruits of the spirits is long suffering or patient that we are meant to be able to wait on the Lord or not us, but the Holy spirit has the capacity to give us the spiritual gift of patience and long suffering. And I think one of the reasons we don't have it is because we do not want it. Um, We're not asking for it. Yeah. And I've not only struggled with pastoring, but also parenting in this season, especially as my child um, goes back to in-person school four days a week. And um, on the one hand, it is a relief from homeschooling. On the other hand, um, you know, the other day I dropped him off and I saw him walk into the building and I just cried just because of uncertainty. Um, I want my child not only to be well, but I want to be my child's protector And I just thought about all of those, especially um, fathers um, who had to see their children sold off into slavery or who themselves were sold off. And you had to trust God to care for your children and family. And I've just had to have a little talk with myself. It's like, if they could do that, I can do this. Right. But it's still so difficult for me in this season um, because I'm already, uh, my <laughs> my wife calls me the safety officer of the house. So I'm constantly That's talking so funny. about the things that are dangerous in the house. That's right? so funny. <laughs> Our, my friend Ryan has started calling me risk management. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so. We've never put that together before. Um, no, I mean, I, I'm reading right now a book called The Sun Still Shines by Anthony Ray. And right now, I want to say the last name is Hinton, but I'm looking at you and that can't be right. Um, but it was a um, death row prisoner in Alabama, actually um, right next to 
Walter, whose name I can't remember, from Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, right? Like Brian Stevenson wow. freed, I mean, worked with his team to free both of these men who mm. were innocent and condemned to death and spent, you know, th I mean, Anthony Ray, 30 years on death row. And, and it's reading his book and he's telling the story about growing up in Alabama and talking about how, you know, they would have to, they were bused to school and they then would have to walk home because they stayed to play sports. And, and like walking home, the two of them together, he and his friend were just on constant alert. And anytime they heard a car coming, they had to go over and like jump in the ditch and hide because they just mm. didn't know who was coming and ha you know just having to do having to do that for their own safety and that having to be their normal and thinking about his mom like thinking about his mom needing to send him out as a very tall you know mature looking you know 17 year old black man into such a hostile world where you know he'd be winning the basketball game for his team and the crowd would be shouting the n-word at him right so i mean mm -hmm. the amount of just the amount of deep mm, trauma and faith that were required and i think the tension is to say like do we as believers want to be able to lean on the lord and find kingdom resources to endure what is unendurable but not dismiss it as like oh it's fine like it's not right. fine and it was there's this one scene where he's writing about that and he's writing about how he's lying there in the ditch saying both this is what i have to do and this is not how i should be living and sort of finding that tension and because i think that's the tension of what we're going through now like and it's not about political blame but just saying like this pandemic and and what both is in terms of biology and in what it is revealing about community and the soul of our nation like these are not things that we should dismiss as inconsequential um and also we we find a way to continue to walk as people mm. of faith but that's not co-signing on this reality. That is um, like a testimony to otherwise. Yeah, and I was going to say dealing faithfully with it. I mean, right. confronting it. But I think so often in the distortion of faith, you know, what, what we, the shortcut we take is like, oh, I can handle this because I'm denying it. Because it's yes. not a big deal. Yes. Because 10,000 will fall at my right hand yes. and 1,000 at my left and nothing's going to touch me and yes. this doesn't matter. And the people who it does touch don't matter somehow. Yeah. So that is, we say like the only way we can deal with something is saying either it's not real or, or it will ultimately bless me. And to mm -hmm. be able to say like it is real, it is evil and an aberration from God's design for life. And, um, it, you know, and also I, I and I know bad things can happen. Like I've read the book of Job. <laughs> like I know bad things can happen to the Lord's beloved. And I still will praise the Lord in the land of the living. Like that's a really hard um, tension to maintain in this time. So. Anyway. So what are you thinking about? Well, I'm going to be a little dangerously real <laughs> yes <laughs> so yesterday um our presbytery had a meeting on zoom which i totally forgot which about totally forgot about but i was there on the zoom and again like everything is hard right now and um but i heard thing like so i just want to caveat that i really deeply respect the leadership of our presbytery. Um, but I was very sad and troubled with what I heard, and maybe I heard incorrectly. Um, but there was a very powerful sermon preached and sort of likening where we are now to the Israelites in exile and, you know, making the point that, you know, in the period of exile, really temple worship you know, people never return to that. Mm -hmm. um, and so on the other side of that, it was instead of 
centering relationship with God in in a temple, in place, it was centered in synagogue and in scripture, and how that shift was both, you know, lots of loss and grief, but ultimately healthy and generative and holy, which I totally track with all of that. And then the question, you know, we know how good preaching works. The question is, okay, so how are we going to stop trying to get back to what we had mm. and look for the opportunities and the new thing that God is doing in our midst right now? And our presbytery is of Matthew 25 Presbytery, which is a national initiative um, in the Presbyterian Church USA to focus, get everyone to focus on three things, um, dismantling white supremacy, eradicating poverty, poverty and um, congregational vitality. Mm. And, um, so the, the question was, like, how in this season can we be about congregational vitality? And I am, like, here. I'm here for it. I'm tracking all the way. And, like, in this season, we can't look back to what we used to do. We need to be in creatively, you know, tenaciously um, seeking to build vital relationships with other Presbyterian churches. And I was like, oh, I'm so sad that in this moment, our focus is the institution and not my read of, it's not unfaithful to be connected with other Presbyterian churches, but, but, but with deep honor and respect, like the Great Commission is to go and make disciples of, of all people, teaching them all that we have seen and done. And I think we're in this moment that's really, an, I mean, analogous in, in ways to, you know, the early church with the plagues where everyone else is fleeing and, and believers in Jesus are saying, like, let me leverage and lay down my life to go and, and nurse those who are sick and, and really recognize that my life on this earth isn't promised to me. So let me leverage everything I have to be about the values of the kingdom of God. And in this season, it just seems like, we are surrounded by people who are a incredibly vulnerable to this physical illness and b incredibly um, overwhelmed by just an epidemic of depression and alienation and mm. despair. And I believe that we have gifts from the Lord in spite of like the very real struggle that we have and like, sure. not about going out and being like, Hey, this is NBD. Like, <laughs> let me tell you how to like, um, you know, survive and thrive in it. But to say like, we can, um, you know, what's it like to go out into our neighborhoods and like hand out door knockers that say, Hey, we're your church. And if you need help, if you need food, if you need a ride to the hospital, if you need, um, your kid needs help with math. I mean, like, like, it just is sad to me that in this moment, we're not saying, like, how can we in this moment find a way to get back to what is essential, which is the Great Commission. And it just feels like we all have so much anxiety about the survival of our institutions, big and small, that I don't, and I do too. Like, that's not me pointing the finger at, out, you know, but I also realize, like, our church and all institutions exist to serve the body of Christ and to usher in the kingdom of God and all of our institutions have seasons and we're not meant, I don't think to be prolonging them. We're meant to be like spending them out for the sake of the gospel. And so I just was just sad and discouraged and, you know, um, so that's what I'm thinking about. And I'm thinking honestly, like, I mean, I think that it's okay to have a respectful, like, disagreement with how to respond faithfully in this season. Like, I think that we're allowed to do that and without, you know, questioning anybody's fidelity to Jesus or anointedness or any. So I'm not questioning any of that. I just, I just think that what has plagued me and every institution I've been a part of since I've been a part of them has been having an inward focus instead of an outward focus. Absolutely. And I think that yep. that was 
a symptom and I get it. Like I get the anxiety of like, Mm -hmm. what are we going to do if we don't keep resourcing, you know, getting our own resources. But I mean, we're also like the found the central image of our faith is to pick up our cross and follow. And like, what are we willing to die for? And I think that's not just an individual question, but an institutional question. Like our institutions have to be willing to die for something. Yeah. I'm smacked in the face right now by the words from our, from our denominational constitution, which says that the church engages in mission, its mission at the risk of its own life. Right. Our mission is not survival. Yeah. It's not survival. And okay, I've been doing this work for what, 20 years, I think? <laughs> I can't remember. It's all blurring together. And I have trained elders, new elders, year after year, and we've looked at those words. But now they are staring me in the face that in this season, it is not about our survival. Yes, we are going to be good stewards of the church's budget and other resources, but we are still on mission. The mission has not stopped. And Jesus is calling us to do some things that are risky, that might even further, at first, the decline of local congregations, maybe even the whole denomination. I don't know, but I I know that the mission has not stopped. And um, it is so easy to focus on my survival, the church's survival, um, but that's not what Jesus is calling us to. And you and I have had the blessing, and I, it really is a blessing from the Lord to have people outside of our denominational context come into our lives and yeah. ministries. For me, that happened you know, pretty early on. Uh, after I was ordained, some Pentecostals invited me to a Bible study out on a farm. And I was like the only pastor and a Presbyterian at that. I was the strangest person in the room. But I saw and experienced a different kind of spirituality. And it was it was very formative for me. It was so helpful. It was a gift. And you've had people come into the life of the Grove and and have brought that. And so... It, it, it's a blessing that, um, you know, we've had that come into our lives and ministries, and it helps to gain some perspective because it's so easy to get sucked into our denominational culture, which, I mean, we, we love the PCUSA, but right now it seems to be focused on survival. Well, and ironically, like, focused on survival, which is making us turn inward when, ironically, the thing that I mean, because look, I'm not someone, and and I feel like I'm in the minority. Like often when Mm -hmm. I hear leaders in our denomination talk about the future of our denomination, what is said or implied is like, yeah, we're in a slow decline and someday we'll die and that's okay. And I'm like, actually, it's not okay with me because I I do think that the PCUSA has particular um, just gifts from God and, and insights and practices that matter and that are are given to edify the whole body of Christ. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's not, and as I've heard people say, like, oh, well, the PCUSA at some point will merge with X other denomination and that'll be fine. Like, I don't, we are already merged. We are already one body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so what I want is for our denomination to thrive both by being deeply connected to other parts of the body of Christ with gifts and practices that frankly scare us and you know, giving some of the things that we, I think, embody well, like the priesthood of all believers and like this understanding of um, just the the scripture as a revelation from God and not a metaphor. And, you know, just mm. there's a lot of really, really good things. And I, I, I think it's just deeply ironic that that we, I think, because of some of the white, I mean, our denomination is predominantly white and I mean, wealthy, especially from a global sense. And so white upper middle class culture is a scarcity culture mm. and a and a sort of a faux meritocracy culture. And so this idea of like, well, we already have everything that we need and what we need to leverage it and work hard and everything will be okay. Like those are not kingdom. That's mm. not a kingdom message. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that like, oh, we need to connect with one another so we can pool our resources so that then we can X, Y, and Z. I mean, the reality is, 
Um, and as as my friend Eustacia Moffat Marshall told me years ago, like our resources are not in the denomination. Our resources are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we are faithful to the mission of God, then we have to believe that God will provide for, for us in, in all kinds of unanticipated and, unaccept, and, and unexpected ways. But if we're not faithful to the mission of Jesus Christ, then it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether we exist or not. And I do think that the reality is, I don't know how long this season of life for this denomination is or for any of us individually or for any of our churches. But what I do know is that there is life beyond death. And I, so I don't know. I just think of all the time in the world, and I struggle with this as a pastor, like it's difficult to discern. Is it faithful to say in our church, like now is a time to just rest and wait on the Lord and accept our limitations? Or is now a time to really like be extra bold or shoot the moon or whatever kind of yeah. metaphor. And, and I legitimately do not know. I don't know, but I do know that we can't be thinking about survival. We have to be thinking about faithfulness. And, um, you know, that's just, I mean, I, I get it. I identify with it, I guess, because I'm battling it so fiercely within myself right? that I really, um, I, you know, I just have a very strong reaction mm-hmm. when I think I hear someone say what in my, a version of what I'm identifying in my own self as a fear based, I don't know. And can, can I just say again, for the record, deep respect, love and honor for the people who have been called by God to lead our presbytery in this season. I just am struggling um, with this particular bit of vision casting. Mm, mm. And again, and I say this as someone who I very much believe, I know for a fact, I, I know and believe that my congregation and, and personally, I am experiencing a level of vitality that was beyond my own possibility because of the presbytery, whatever, 12 years ago, you know, creating a space to call me out well, on the waters and, and take, say, taking a risk right, to, to create space to say like, Hey, your congregation is going to die. So let's get serious about figuring out why you're yeah. unfaithful and better to die trying to live yeah. than to just hold on to what you have for as long as possible. Right? Like it was the presbytery who, who pushed me out on those waters in ways that have just borne tremendous fruit in my life. And I take credit for none of it. And so I just am like, what I, I, I'm, that's what I'm thinking about. And I'm, and I'm thinking about what does it mean to be part of this body faithfully and honorably? And when do you talk and when do you shut up? Well, clearly I shut up never. (laughs) We were, we, um, my wife and I were sitting around watching the news recently and, um, a story, a local story came on about, movie theaters being closed. And so we were listening to this story and she said to me, I know exactly what you're thinking. I was like, oh, (laughs) what what am I thinking? And she said, you're thinking if you had the money or if the elders would go along with you, you would buy a movie theater because you know that at some point COVID is going to be over. And people are going to gather again. And that would be a great place to, um, to plant a church. And doggone it, she was right. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like the church needs to be thinking about um, not just post-COVID, but bigger than how can we keep our people together? How can we keep our budgets together? How can we keep our institution going? Well, and I think part of what this season is showing us in a way that is really unpleasant, but probably deeply healthy, is that, I mean, our, our faith and our joy and our comfort has been in some of the wrong things. Mm. And so, so, you know, that we, we sort of think, well, if we can't do X and we can't do Y and we can't do Z then how will we even be the church again? And the reality is we aren't the church. Like the church is the body of Christ. And so what what we know is true is that God 
is not limited. God is not sick. God is not Mm -hmm. withdrawing, you know? And so that's not to, again, that's not to like beat, beat myself or anyone else up for feeling all of the feelings and being fully human and like having seasons of like disorientation is, you know, is very faithful, but, but also just to recognize, huh, we, we, um, a couple of weeks ago, I got to do a little thing and, and was talking about, you know, I lift up my eyes to the hills from when does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And just this idea that for, you know, at, at that time, people were looking to the hills because that's where the Asherath poles were. And that's where the, you know, altars to Baal were. And people were thinking literally that, that their help was coming from the hills. And the psalmist is saying, my help's not coming from the hills. My help is coming from the God who made the hills and the whole dang earth. And sometimes we look to the hills to the, they're not bad. The hills aren't bad and they're not apart from God. And they're even signs of God's beauty and majesty and goodness, but they're not God. And I think sometimes in our life with God, we, we, I mean, whatever, we worship the gifts God has given us instead of God, the giver. And that is just a hard part of growing deeper in our maturity, um, with, with the Lord. So I, I think this is a hard season. I don't like it. I want it never to have happened and to be over Mm. yesterday. And I do suspect that ultimately we it will bear fruit that like we wouldn't want to repeat but we wouldn't trade it for anything yes i'm i cannot help but believe that god is up to something radically amazingly astonishingly good in all of this yeah well have we talked about what you're thinking about we've gotten really excited What am I thinking about? I am thinking about like a lot of Americans and a lot of people (laughs) around the world. Yes, you know what I'm going to say. I'm thinking about the election. Um, And I know there's just lots of anxiety and concern about election day and the days that follow. But what I'm thinking about um, is the struggle that's going to continue after. I, I hope, I hope this is not the case, but I'm concerned that way too many Americans are thinking that if Joe Biden is elected as president, then racism is going to stop right. and things will just return to normal. COVID will vanish. I, I don't know. But we must have a mindset. We, we might have a moment to exhale, to say, okay, there is a temporary relief or a slowdown of the craziness that we've been in over the past four years. But there is a much larger freedom justice struggle that is happening And we must be mindful of that. And the church cannot, um, especially those of us who are more politically progressive, cannot say, well, we got that done, and now it's back to business as usual. There's just got to be a long-term view of this thing. I'm mindful that... um, this month, the month of October, is the birthday of one of my homies. I, actually, that's I, I should not refer to her as a homie. I need to have more respect, and I do have for um, Fannie Lou Hamer, that um, civil rights and voting rights activist of the 60s. Um, my parents grew up in the neighborhood with her. Uh, they knew her. They, they knew Miss Hamer, and... Um, I'm just mindful of this ordinary woman from Mississippi who was just passionately engaged in this struggle. And there is a call to all of us to keep, I want to use the word fighting, but I'm, I'm, I want to pull back from that because it, it, it sounds way too worldly 
there is a holy struggle that is happening. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm with you. Like, I feel like I'm worried about people who think that the election is the end of the world and will be despairing if it doesn't turn out a certain way, which is me. And I'm worried about people who are saying like, either way, it'll be okay. Like, I think both of those are, are problematic Mm -hmm. because on the one hand, you know, I, I don't think um, that it is, it is okay if what happens in light of the election is that many people in our country feel like their humanity has been whatever co-signed as less than I less than the quote norm or that, you know, there's no liberty or justice. I mean, I'm, it's not okay if a significant amount of people in, in our country feel visceral, reasonable fear for their lives and, and just disenfranchised. Like that's not okay. And it's particularly not okay for it to be okay with people who are not Mm -hmm. suffering in that way. Um, so, so it's not okay. I definitely think people who think that if the election comes out one way or another, either not not their understanding of the right way, but it's okay because Jesus is Lord, or the better outcome is elected and people go like, okay, it's fine now because, you know, because the person that I believe is God's anointed is, is now the new leader. Like, both of those I just think are deeply theologically troubling. Like, I think... Right. What we believe is that the kingdom of God is an actual political reality. And by that, I do not mean that one of our two political parties is the party of the kingdom of God. I mean, it is the actual reality that transcends all of those other realities. And I think, you know, for me, this is the connection back to why am I serious about evangelism? Because I think the values of the gospel of Jesus Christ clearly reveal the deep sinfulness Mm. of our culture and the way to bring um, healing and wholeness and life is not to pass laws or despise one another. It's to actually all of us come alive in Christ and actually all of us see justice as not a threat and, and, you know, liberty is not a pie that we have to get yours and keep somebody, you know, but to really have a change of heart as a nation in, in all kinds of ways. And, and I don't think that that will happen through a political party. I think that as people of faith, it's our job to invite people into a whole different way of seeing the world, like for recovery of yes. sight to the blind. Yes. Right. And so, you know, and I'm, I, I'm down with the Matthew 25 initiative, but I think that most of people in our denomination are like, Hey, let's go dismantle um, white supremacy and let's go eradicate poverty. And the way we're going to do that is through the political process. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't think so. I think the way that happens is through congregational vitality and people being caught up in the joy of the Lord and having a radical shift in understanding Mm -hmm. who their brothers and sisters are and what it means to have a covenant that is built around safeguarding the life of the widows, the orphans, the strangers, right? Like that's where then whatever happens politically is an outgrowth of the spiritual renewal that happens. Um, And I, Lisa Coons posted something today about like, if we, if we want this kind of peace, it's not about talking to our friends. It's about talking to our enemies. And so Mm. seeing like Mm. the people we need to be in, in, in deep, you know, holy peacemaking communion with are not those who are on quote our side, but those who the world would say are on the opposite side. And we say, you know, the way that the kingdom teaches us to vanquish our enemies is not to kill them or imprison them, but to, to borrow a term, win them to Christ, Mm -hmm. but not commercial marketplace Christianity, like actual. Yeah. Actual Jesus of Nazareth. Sure. Leave yeah. all things behind. Come and follow me. Sell mm-hmm. everything you have. I mean, you know this. So I, I'm with you. Like I don't know. And I, I'm I'm worried about this um, election. I mean, really worried. Like like, I'm not gonna lie. There's a possibility that I will not feel strong enough hmm. to pretend to be okay next week. Um, but I mean, I recognize that God has called believers. I mean, like 
the Christian church was birthed in a hostile empire. Absolutely. And, and you know, the whole point of, of the chosen people were chosen out of and redeemed from a hostile empire. So I'm not, um, you know, I don't believe in trickle down Christianity. <laughs> That's not what we're about. And we yeah. have, and this is why, like, kind of the thing is like, we have a sphere of influence in our institutions and in our churches, and this is what we believe in. And we can agree within our local communities that this is what we can agree on. And we can figure out in love, how do we embody this using everything that we have? Mm -hmm. Not because we think it'll work according to whatever the natural sense, but because this is what faithfulness looks like. And we've, we, we believe have this all, is true. Right. And we have all these crazy things that Jesus said, like if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could yeah. move mountains, which is yeah. to me, the connection with somebody like Fannie Lou Hamer, like we, we have built like a mystique mm -hmm. around people, particularly people who the Lord used to bring justice during the civil rights era and, and acting like somehow like they levitated six inches off the ground everywhere they went. I mean, I think like that both the amazing and the terrifying thing is like, no, these were like ordinary, ordinary people, ordinary believers with dirty kitchens mm -hmm. and recalcitrant mm -hmm. children who did things that did not make sense mm -hmm. from the world's view that were a waste of time, were a foolish risk, but did it because it was faithful. And guess who was faithful abundantly in response? The Lord. Absolutely. And so we have to not make like mystics or saints mm -hmm. as the Catholic church understands sainthood out of those people. But to say like, no, 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 we, if the Lord calls us can be those people for this generation, not to have some sort of legacy or be famous someday, but because we believe that God is still alive and at work and that, you know, this agenda of justice and reconciliation and healing and wholeness, it's not our agenda. It's God's agenda. Yeah. So, but yes, me too. Thinking, being, um, I was thinking well, we'll like, have an interesting podcast <laughs> next week. I was thinking like, it's so good to be together this week. And like, I wonder if either one of us will feel safe enough Oy. to be together next week. Oy. Like, I don't, Oy. I don't know. And I don't like not knowing, but I also think like, well, who, who made me think that Jesus was going to put me on fantasy Island and <laughs> like, <laughs> I would say my pop culture references. You are on are fire today. <laughs> I would say on fleek, but. Oh, yes. Yes. I really enjoy taking these terms and using them thus, like, like emptying them of all. Well, you know what they say when white people start using certain things, it's, it's, it's over. It's, 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 it's over. It's done. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm a culture ruiner. Yes. Um, what are you preaching about this week? Well, um, I think I'm preaching Numbers chapter 21. I know you read that nightly for your devotions before you go to bed. But Numbers 21, Israel has left Egypt. They are on the way to the promised land. They are in the desert. And they complain and grumble, and the Lord sends poisonous snakes. And I am just looking at this whole idea of being a people who have been freed from Pharaoh. You're on the way to even greater freedom and blessing in the promised land. You are on a journey. And the Lord has been faithful to free you from the grip of a powerful force in Pharaoh and the empire of Egypt. And you are free. You are blessed people. And you're on the way to the promised land. But you're going through a desert season. And in this desert season, what do you do? You complain. You grumble. You even accuse God and Moses of bringing you out of your bondage to kill you in the desert. And so um, I, I just want to sit with that uh, and think about this time that we are in, um, because I, I definitely see myself as part of a people um, freed from bondage on a journey 
to even greater freedom. Um, and this this sojourn, not only you know, in America, but in just in the world, is a journey. And so, um, what am I doing in this season? Am I so focused on my complaining and grumbling that I'm missing? I'm missing the journey. I'm missing what the Lord has done to Pharaoh. I'm missing what lies ahead. Um, so that's what, I don't have a title, I don't really have a focus yet, but that's the, that's the text I'm looking at for Sunday. I think that, I mean, obviously on so many levels, that's so relevant to us right now. And there are two things that strike me just hearing you talk about it. And the one is like, I mean, it's not that, that story, we're not given that story so that we can accuse ourselves and feel bad about being human and having these kinds of fears and doubts, but so that we can recognize that, you know, the people at that moment in the desert felt like they were dying and mm -hmm. really they were coming alive. And so for us to be able to say like, oh, so if I feel like I'm dying, there's a possibility that actually my feelings aren't reality. And so I don't need to like pretend or lie to myself and others about not feeling this way. I just need to also carry with these feelings, the witness and testimony of scripture that, you know, my feelings aren't my God. And so that will help me just breathe and walk through. Mm. Right. And, and they would not necessarily change how I feel like right. just, I mean, if we could snap our fingers and feel hopeful and joyful and energetic, we'd all do that. So it's right. not that like some feelings are bad and you shouldn't feel that way. Um, but just to be able to say, hey, God's people have been here before. And so, you know, that is really helpful. And But the other thing that I think about that story is, I, again, like I think our imagination has been so corrupted by empire culture that we just have this idea that there are good guys and bad guys. And, you know, bad things are done by bad people. And everyone who is like, you know, everyone who who really is the victim of something bad, like they're better, you know, like mm. this idea, like we keep wanting to write the Israelites as like the heroes of the story. Right. So then when we see them complaining in the desert, we're like, what's that doesn't make any sense. And <laughs> say like, well, it does make sense because just because they were enslaved people that didn't make them morally superior mm. to their enslavers right like i really think that that's the message of scripture so that you know this this um depravity of slavery was unequivocally evil and wrong and death dealing to everyone involved but just because you're the victim of something that doesn't mean that you are ontologically different or morally superior to the victimizer right mm -hmm. and so to be able to say like just because the Lord is moving on my behalf, that doesn't mean that everything I want, think, and feel, you know, like God didn't rescue me because I'm worthy. God rescued right. me because God is a rescuer, mm -hmm. right? And the hero of the story is God, God. right? And so f for us to be able to say right now, like I have no faith in myself and I have no faith in my feelings and I am not winning at this <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> On any level. <laughs> totally not winning. Or, or on my journey with Jesus. Like, my journey with Jesus is not the hero's narrative. But I see from the witness of Scripture who God is, and that allows me to have faith in God when my faith in myself runs out. And, like, all of us in America have been taught, you know, the American, like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps myth mm -hmm. that if you just work hard enough and do right, like, you're a good person and you deserve everything you get. And that's just not the that's not the witness of scripture. And so I think for me, that's part of what that story testifies to. Um, and I, in ways that are disturbing, right? Like it's disturbing. Poisonous snakes are just not easily folded into my understanding of who God is. So I'm not yes. trying to dismiss well, and, that. And that's part of the, part of the text I'm wrestling with. And of course, um, that story is referenced in the new Testament. I believe yep. in the gospel of John, um, where, Jesus basically says that he's the snake on a stick. Yeah. On, <laughs> and referring to his cross. And there's something about looking, confronting, right. staring at 
that which is ugly, horrible, scary, doing that in faith, that is healing. Well, and I think like when you think about, so I mean the story, in case not everyone is so up on Numbers 21, is God sends poisonous snakes in because the people are grumbling and complaining. And then God has tells Moses to make a snake, a metal snake, put it on a pole. And everyone who looks at it will then be cured yes. of the snake bites. Yes. Um, and then later that snake becomes an idol, but that's a different story. <laughs> um, but anyway, and so then, so then Jesus is saying that he, his cross is basically, you know, a new version of that snake mm-hmm. on a stick that cured, healed people before. And I do think that in a season like this, you know, centering ourselves on the cross really does help us have right expectations of ourselves, people around us, God, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so I do think that that is helpful. Like when we start to say like, well, I'm better than my neighbor. So how come they have this and I have that? Or, you know, how come I'm better than whatever public figure? So how come this is happening to me? That when we look to the cross of Jesus Christ, we go, oh, that's what glory looks like. Mm. And I, too, have fallen short. And so I, too, am enjoying, you know, manifestations of God's grace on the daily. And and I am not, it's not about beating my neighbors. It's about giving my life to Christ. And that just helps recenter me. I'm not saying I'm good at that at all. But I do think for (laughs) me, like, that's the connection to the cross being a snake on a stick. Is to say, like, how is... How, how is death and sin overcome through through the cross of Jesus Christ? And that has been given to me. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. That's been given to me, mm-hmm. which then means whatever is happening to me, I'm like Paul. I can consider the past all loss com- in comparison with the surpassing glory of knowing Jesus. And I've learned the secret to contentment in every situation because of what the cross is already is and the promise that it holds. And also when I when I see other people... I don't compare myself and think I'm superior. I go like, what do I have that I haven't received? And so I mm-hmm. would never judge, you know, I know that God didn't give me something because I'm worthy. God gave me something because of my neediness. And so when I see someone who is lost in sin, I mean, the, 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 mo- the quickest temptation is to just enjoy feeling superior to them as opposed to, mm-hmm. you know, seeking the Lord in terms of what is my responsibility to, to my brother. So and that's, that's a good text. Good and you, what are you preaching? <laughs> <laughs> well, we are starting a new sermon series, um, that, you know, that we picked in October of last year, that in <laughs> November mm. was going to be called, <laughs> wait for it, Journey Stories. <laughs> mm. <laughs> stories of meeting people who met Jesus on the road. And it was funny, I was looking at it, and um, and someone was like, well, we're guess we're not doing that this month. And I'm like, you know, I think we are. I was going to say, it's not bad. No, because the reality is, I mean, the journey we take with Jesus is not physical. It's metaphysical, but um, ching. And so, um, and like, it doesn't, I mean, sometimes it requires, inspires a change of location or, but you know, it's, it's deeper than those external things and so i do think to be able to say like this is not a journey we chose but we're on it right now and 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 so we can be on it with jesus or we can you know just close our eyes and stamp our feet and put anyway so that but i i think um well i know for sure i'm doing luke 5 1 to 11 which is the in luke that's when he calls the the fishermen um, you know, Peter lets him use the boat and then he says, go and, you know, cast on the other side. And Peter ah, says, yeah. Hey, I've been like, I've been fishing all night long. I caught nothing. You're a carpenter. Right. <laughs> I fish. Right. <laughs> what but are you talking about? Because you've said it, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And then, and then there's this miraculous haul of fish. And I think, um, you know, the big point for me is to say after that, Peter's response was not cool. Do you want to join in with us on the fishing business? We could make a killing. (laughs) Like Mm. he's not saying like, great, Jesus is my way to be a better fisherman. Right. And so often that's what we want. We want Jesus. When we talk about this a lot, it's like the the spiritual red bull to make our life 30% better. Mm -hmm. But, but you know, what is happening is a fundamental 
identity transformation where where Peter absolutely in this instant begins to be on a journey to radically understand what life is, who he is, what what his role is in the world. So he doesn't ask Jesus to come in and sanctify his understanding of who he is. He goes to that wilderness desert place of like, I'm going to wander around for a while and not know whether this was the best thing that ever happened to me or this worst thing that ever happened to me. Mm. Like enter into that liminal space of like, all my moorings are gone. And I think that's, you know, too often when we invite or when we reach out for Jesus, it's because we want Jesus to make our life better. It's not because we want the life of Christ. Yes, we want Jesus to be our mascot. Jesus be my cheerleader. (laughs) And it was just so funny. There's an unsolicited self-published book came in the mail to me this week. And and it's somebody's story about being chosen and about how they grew up like culturally Jewish and ended up as a moderately successful businessman and then found the Lord. And now they're hugely successful software magnet, whatever. And I'm like, that's that's what we think the Christian story is, right? Yeah. Like, Like accept Jesus into your heart and you'll be wildly successful. Yeah. And like. You can think that, but it's got nothing to do with the Bible. Mm. Like there's there's no there's no biblical story of a disciple. Like Lydia doesn't like give her heart to the Lord and then become like an international cloth. That's deal. right. Like, yeah. That's yes. not yes. what happens. Yes. But but we want Jesus to make our lives better as we understand them. Yeah. Because we still believe in the American dream more than we believe in the 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 gospel mm. reality. Mm. Whatever, something mm, like that. I'm that's a word. Well, not yet it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Um, so we're done, right? Yes, we this, this has been an experiment. <laughs> I hope, you know, recording with masks on isn't too muffled. And um, and we're on the screen and porch and it's raining. So and it I don't started know. really raining hard. So we'll no. see what this sounds like. Which sounds pleasant to us. But yeah. anyway, if you're still listening, <laughs> thanks for listening. Um and uh, if you want to know more about Yolando, if you want to find out what he does with those poisonous snakes, um, you should go to Derrida Church YouTube channel, D-E-R-I-T-A, uh, in Charlotte. Um, Google them, and they'll pop you over to their website, and you can listen to some of his back catalog. Is that what we call it, your back catalog on the Podbean website? That sounds really good. Doesn't it, though? And if you want to find out more about The Grove, you can go to thegrovecharlotte.org. You can go to iTunes and find The Grove Church Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. I love saying that. (laughs) Thanks, Ryan. And um, you can worship with us on Sunday on Facebook. We live stream at 10 and we have a good time. Um, So you could join us and we would love that. So thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week.